Good morning again. Thank you, Elaine, Stephen, choir, for that wonderful music. It's amazing when we can praise him in our good times and at times that are challenging. Some of you are going through some crisis right now, and I just want to let you know you can still praise him through the storm, and he's with you no matter what you go through. Amen. We're going to be in the book of John today, if you'll turn in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you, or you can turn in your version Bible app, whatever you use, to John 11. And for those of you just joining us, we've been going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse, and we're pausing that series to celebrate Easter. We're going to be doing a three-week series, and this is the time where we're just going to turn our hearts and attention towards the cross. And for those of you who have grown up in different denominational backgrounds, many of you have celebrated Lent each year, 40 days leading up to Easter, and you, you think about something that you want to give up to the, for the Lord and, and those type traditions. And in the Baptist traditions, we have many different ones, but one thing that we're going to do is do a series to really focus on Easter and what it's all about. And our series is called Empty, From Empty to Full. And our whole series theme is the tomb was empty, so your life doesn't have to be. So today we're going to talk about an empty place at the table. And next week, we're going to pick up in John 12, we're going to talk about an empty jar. And on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about an empty tomb. In each of these cases, how Jesus takes the empty and he brings fullness out of it. He brings something good out of it. So we're going to be in John 11, and uh, we're going to be reading most of the chapter. So if you guys will just read along with me in your Bibles, I won't have it on the screen due to the different many verses we're going to have starts off in verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick. Not, not a good start to a story, right? Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with a fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose bro- brother Lazarus was sick. And we'll talk about that story next week. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, He whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, I love verse 5. It says, Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. And I think the reason why God put that in the Scripture is what we're getting ready to read. It's going to seem to appear that maybe Jesus doesn't love them. Because he's going to do something that they didn't expect before he does something that they don't expect. Verse 6 says, so when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Wouldn't that shock you if uh, you asked Jesus to come and help and he lingered two days? Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go up to Judea again. The disciples said, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the light, he stumbles, because he, the light is not in him. These things he said, and after this he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I will go that I may wake him up. So basically Jesus is saying, if you walk in the light, you won't stumble, but if you walk in darkness, 
You will stumble. We'll talk about what that means in a moment. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. So we see the disciples don't get it. They think Lazarus is simply taking a nap, and Jesus is going to tell them plainly in the next verse, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now look at what Thomas says in verse 16. This is Thomas that we often call Doubting Thomas. He says to his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So here we see Thomas saying, you know, we may die also. Lazarus is dead. Guess what? We may be dead. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that they had already, that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how many days? Four days. So he was four days dead. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, before we read the rest of the passage, I just want to pause there. And we're going to talk about Mary and Martha. And as we read this text, I want you guys to put yourself in their place. You you know Jesus is the miracle worker. He can heal people. He can raise people from the dead. He can do amazing miracles. I mean, he's the miracle worker. You're friends with Jesus. Really good friends. And you find out that Jesus has delayed coming to you so that now you, the, your family member is now dead. What would you be feeling at this point? All right, and I'll take that emotion and go to verse 20. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. So here we have Mary and Martha. Martha's the worker, the servant, and Mary's always sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's the more contemplative one. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would have not died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now look what Jesus says to her. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me Even though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I love Martha's response. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. In that statement, she makes three affirmations. He said, you're the Christ. She believes Jesus is the Messiah. She's saying, I believe you're the Son of God, God's Son. And you're the one who is to come. She believes all the Old Testament prophecies. So she has faith. In verse 28, the story progresses. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, Mary, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to meet Jesus. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary rose up quickly, went out, followed her, saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. In verses 32 and following, uh, just summarizing, what's beautiful is Mary comes to him and she falls at his feet. And she says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus weeps in verse 35. Jesus wept. Then the Jews, in verse 36, says, see how he loved him. 
Verse 37, and some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? And verse 38 is where the story builds to a climax. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Look at Martha's reaction. She said, Lord, by now this time there is a stench. If you have the old King James, it says he stinketh. For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then he took away the stone from the place. They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people standing by, I say this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, to them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who came to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did, believed in him. Let us pray. Father, there's power in your word. And Father, I pray to some people who find emptiness in a certain area of their lives. It may be their heart is empty. It may be a certain relationship seems empty. God, whatever empty places in our lives, I pray that you would speak to it. And that you would change the empty. And you would make it full again. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to talk about an empty place at the table. An empty place at the table. I can imagine Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the conversations they had. They were, they were great friends. They were family. And all of a sudden, one day, Lazarus gets sick. We're not told what the sickness is. And then he dies. And their hopes get dashed to the ground. But I think there's some significance in the emptiness. On your outline, I define emptiness as any place, thing, person that's devoid of life. So in this case, there's an empty place at the table where there was someone sitting there. Now they're no longer sitting there. So on your listening guides, if you'll follow along with me, I want to give you a few thoughts about emptiness. The first one is this. Emptiness is not something you choose. I don't know of anybody that's ever said, Timothy, I just want to be empty. I want to be void. I don't want to have any significance in life. Or Timothy, I just want, you know, no one chooses emptiness. And when you look at the story, we find Mary and Martha, all of a sudden their brother gets sick. And he dies. And there's the empty place at the table. I was reading recently about Tom Brady. Many of you are familiar with him. He's a four-time champion for the Super Bowl. He has won MVP several times, 12 Pro Bowls, 14 division titles. He has basically more awards than pretty much any quarterback in history. As you can tell, he's pretty much married to a supermodel, multimillionaire, And he was interviewed several years back. This is after he had won his third title. And I want to read you his quotes. Basically, he said, despite all of his success, he felt empty inside. Let me read you his quotes. 
He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream. I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I love playing football and I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. So Tom Brady, with with everything he's got, some of the things that some of you dream of, he says, I'm empty. I'm still searching. Well, if I could if, if I could answer Tom Brady, maybe we can send this little clip to him. Um, I would say, Tom, the answer is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can fill your emptiness. Being a multimillionaire will not fill the emptiness. Being married to a supermodel will not fill the emptiness. Being a champion, being a celebrity, being successful does not fill emptiness. Only Christ can speak life into a lifeless situation. Only Jesus can bring the dead back to life. So Tom, that's not what there is. He's the only one that can give you life. So many of you today, as I look around, I know some of you, you have empty places at your table. Or maybe a spouse used to sit. Maybe a son or daughter, maybe a friend, and you're thinking, you know, this is the empty place. I I miss this person. I miss my husband, my wife. How can God speak to my situation? Well, I'm glad you are asking these questions as we're going through the scripture. I wish I had more time to unpackage the whole chapter, but I want to give you a few highlights that Jesus can fill the emptiness. On your listening guide, the second point that we can learn about emptiness is trials can teach us some very important lessons. Trials can teach us some very important lessons. One day, a six-year-old boy walked into his mother's room just crying, crocodile tears. Oh, Mom, I'm so sad. And Mom's like, what's the matter, son? I thought you were having a good day. And he said, I just learned to tie my shoes. And she was puzzled, like, why is he crying about learning to tie his shoes? And she asked him, why are, why are you growing up? That's a good thing. Why are you so sad? And he said, well, now I have to tie my shoes for the rest of my life. No longer have anyone helping me. And many of us feel that way. We're like, I have to go to my nine to five job or my seven to seven job for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Or I have these kids that are challenging and I need to raise them for the next 18, 20, 30 years in our generation, right? The 20 somethings that still live at home, whatever. Um, or I thought retirement was so great, but Man, it's not what it's cracked up to be. I thought I'd be sitting on the beach and I'm spending more time in the hospital and at the doctor's office than I am on vacation. I didn't know retirement was going to be this way. We all have the areas of emptiness and we're like, God, why? But, you know, when you look through this text, a few points I want to bring up is this. Bad things can happen even to what you or I would call good people. Verse two, you notice in verse two, if you turn back to the text, it says that. Mary, it was Mary who anointed the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And verse 3 says this is the one that Jesus loved. So the people that, you know, from God's consideration, there's no one good because we're all fallen and we're all in need of grace. But from a human perspective, why do, why do bad things happen to what we consider good people? Well, we know in the world bad things can happen even to good people. People die, people get sick. You know, that's not the end of the story. We, we see in verse 3, God doesn't stop loving us when we're sick. 
Isn't it easy when you feel sick? Which, by the way, thank you for your prayers. I, I've been sick for two weeks. So last week, it was every time I got out of the pulpit, I had to like go to bed because my body was aching. I had sinus infection, all this stuff. But sometimes when you feel sick, it's easy to say, "Is God does He not love me as He once did?" I mean, we're it's easy to start doubting. I once heard it said, never question in the dark what God has revealed to you in the light. So when you're going through a trial, don't question God's goodness. Uh, Verse 4, we see the Christian no longer has to fear death. Jesus said this sickness will not result in death. And the parallel post-resurrection of Lazarus and Jesus, we know as Christians we don't have to fear death anymore. I heard from one black African-American pastor, he was telling a story. It was really beautiful. He said, all through human history, we thought of death as a pit. And there were footsteps leading up to the pit. But there was nothing on the other side. But one day, there were footsteps leading up to the pit. Someone went down, and then they came out on the other side. So from now on, we see the footsteps on the other side. And we no longer have to fear death. Amen. That's the beauty of the resurrection. That's the beauty of Easter. We don't have to fear death. God can bring even good out of our worst circumstances. What did he say the purpose of Lazarus dying? God was going to bring what out of this? Glory. He was going to bring good even out of a bad situation. Verses 6 and 7, we see God's delays are not always God's denials. How many days did Jesus delay? Two days. Now, I want to put this in perspective. You know, we're family. We're talking here. Imagine... If your brother just died and you called the church office and you said, Miss Teresa, I really need uh, Pastor Timothy, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Adam, come urgently. I need someone to come because my brother's dying. Teresa got the message to all three of us. None of us showed up. In fact, we waited not one day, but two days. And we just so happened to be out of town. So by the time we showed up at the hospital, it was four days later and your brother was already dead. How many of you would want to come back to this church? But we see Jesus delaying. And we're like, God, you have the power just to speak the word, right? Jesus did it before. Speak the word, my servant will be healed. And here we have Jesus delaying. We know there is always a purpose in a divine delay. God's always got a purpose. We see that God's ultimately in control of the affairs of the people. Verses 8 through 10 they were kind of worried. Jesus, you know, they sought to kill you. You're going to go back to enemy territory. And Jesus said, listen, when it's light, I've got to walk in the light. When it's darkness, people stumble. What I get out of that as an application is I've got to trust God. I can't be so fearful that I'm scared to step outside because of what may happen. And so many Christians, we live in fear, not knowing what will happen. Well, if I go on that mission trip, what if I don't come back alive? If, if I do this, what's going to happen? And I love what Jesus said. While it's light, you walk in the light. doesn't mean you walk foolishly. But you trust God's sovereignty, that if you're in his will, you've got to trust him to work it out however he sees fit. Jesus knows exactly to do what to do, even when we don't have the slightest clue. Now, you look at verses 12 through 16 in the text, and don't you find it interesting the disciples think that Lazarus is sleeping, he's going to get better, and Jesus, listen, he's dead. They have no clue. Um, they're not really sure what Jesus is going to do because Thomas... Jesus had said in this passage, I'm going to go wake Lazarus up. And then he said, Lazarus is dead. So if they were listening to his words, they would hear that Jesus saying, I'm going to, I'm going to re- re- resurrect him from the dead. 
You've seen me do it before. I'm going to do it again. I have the power to raise the dead. But Thomas, instead of expecting a miracle to happen, he expects that he too is going to die. You get that in the text? Let us also go and die with him. We would say that Thomas struggles from stinking thinking. Have you ever had someone call you and you didn't know what it was and you thought it was for the worse? Have you ever had someone give you a message and it was an envelope and you were afraid to open up because you didn't know what was inside? How many of us struggle from a fearful mentality just like Thomas did? You know, if you see through the lens of faith, you come expecting God to do great things. You don't come expecting the worst. The worst may happen, but remember, we serve the one who can raise the dead. And we know that death is not the end of us. I was uh, telling some of my family members recently, I just celebrated a birthday. I have another family member, or two family members, celebrating a birthday. And I was kind of teasing them a little bit. And I said, you know what? Even if you feel older, from an eternal perspective, and this is going to be some encouragement to some of you, if you feel older, let's just say if you feel like your body's getting older, from an eternal perspective, you're a young man or a young woman who just happens to be an older person's body, and you're just waiting for your new body to come. This is just a temporary thing. So it's like my dad, he's sitting back there. He said, Timothy, I still feel like I'm 20s in my mind. My body's not there. But if you look from God's perspective, you're still a young man because you're going to live forever. You just happen to be in an older person's body. But one day you're going to get a new body that's going to be young forever. And everyone said. (laughs) So you're just maybe a little bit closer to that forever body than some of the others but we don't know we don't know the future so we got to get rid of that stinking thinking like thomas let's just go and die and instead of walking in fear the bible says you know god has not given us the spirit of what fear the only fear that we're to have is the healthy fear of god and if we fear him we don't have to fear no one or nothing else And the areas where we experience fear, just like Thomas is, and the disciples, it means that God's perfect love hasn't been applied to that that area. So now we're talking about death, and I would say 100% of us fear death. But if you really believe the scriptures, you don't have to fear death. You only need to fear the unlived life. I'll say that again. You don't have to fear death if you're a Christian. You only need to fear the unlived life, not living out what God has for you. Amen. All right, let's continue on. I'm getting excited. This text keeps building, and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like, all right, I don't want to keep you guys too long. Number three, emptiness presents a divine opportunity in disguise. Emptiness presents a divine opportunity in disguise. Now, I I never saw this before in the text, and doing some research, I put it there in your notes. Most likely, Lazarus died the very same day the messengers came. Did you guys get that? Because Jesus delayed two days. You know, you look at the time to travel. If you look at your outline, day one, most likely this is the scenario. The messengers came to see Jesus. Lazarus dies. So at that point, the only way Jesus could have healed him was to speak the word. Day two, the messengers returned to Bethany. This is the day Jesus delayed. Day three, Jesus waits another day, then departs. And Jesus arrives in day four on Bethany. And at this point, Lazarus has been dead how many days? And we're going to talk about that. My wife and I were having a discussion about this before. Um, So here's something I want you guys to get. If Lazarus had never died, 
there'd be no need for a miracle. If you were never in a crisis, you would never need a miracle. So if you're going through a hard situation right now in your personal life, your family, and a friendship, in your career, the, the, the implications could go on forever. If you're going through a personal crisis that you can't solve on your own, I've got good news for you. You're a good candidate for a miracle. You're a good candidate for a resurrection. And by the way, we've been studying in Ephesians, which will continue on after Easter. The same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. So what we're getting ready to see happen to Lazarus, that resurrection power, that resides in you. So when Jesus speaks something, he can also perform it through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. So let's look at the two sisters here, Mary and Martha. How many of you have ever heard a good message on Mary and Martha before? Sunday school lesson. Okay. So we know that Martha was a servant. She was the worker. She was the type of person like in today's Arden First, she'd be teaching the Sunday school class, she'd be greeting, she'd be ushering, uh, she'd be cleaning up, she'd be doing Wednesday night meals. Do I have any Marthas in the room? A lot of you. I've got at least 20 or 30 Marthas in the room. Mary, on the other hand, she was the contemplative one. She loved sitting at the feet of Jesus. She loved worship. She'd be the one that you'd catch singing in the hallway. Lord, I lift your name on high. <laughs> you know, uh, she would just be singing. She'd be celebrating. She'd be meeting with Elaine and Stephen for choir practice. She just wanted to. She was a worshiper. She was contemplative. And they cannot be polar opposite personalities. So here's what I want you to look at this passage. And I've never thought about it before until now. But what did this crisis do for each personality? Let's look at Martha, the worker. For those of you who are B-U-S-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you're just busy, 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 you're workers. Crisis tend to slow you down. Have you noticed that? Have you ever noticed that some of you, when you get sick, it's the only time you have time to really think about life? I found that the last two weeks. I'm like, I'm in bed and I'm like, I'm forced to think more because I'm so busy. So this crisis presented a divine opportunity in disguise for Martha because it forced her to slow down. It forced her to think about life and death. What about for Mary? And by the way, what did Jesus reveal Martha? What did he reveal himself as to Martha? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And I love how... For those who are servants, the Lord sometimes reveals his mysteries to his servants, the prophets, the Bible says. So Jesus revealed a revelation of himself to Martha. He said, I am the resurrection and life. But look what happens when Mary approaches Jesus. She falls at his feet. She cries. Jesus cries. And by the way, what's interesting in the original language that you got all these mourners that are wailing and screaming and a lot of them are professional mourners. Jesus, his tears are Silent tears. He's not screaming out. His are controlled. His are sincere. So Jesus weeps in John eleven thirty five. But then all of a sudden, Mary comes to him. And after the exchange between Mary and Jesus, Jesus does a miracle. Did you guys notice that? He met with Martha first, then he met with Mary. So whenever a worshiper faces a crisis... It can turn a worshiper's faith into sight. Because here you have Mary that's sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
then she falls at his feet in this passage. And all of a sudden, she believes, and Martha believes, and Jesus does the unthinkable. So I want you guys to think about your crisis. Never waste the trial. Your trial can be an opportunity in disguise. God can use that. Never waste the trial. See what God's trying to teach you through this lesson. Look at number four on your outline. Your old life was a dead, empty one. Your new life is a living, full one. So I want you guys, we looked at Mary and Martha, I want you to look at Lazarus. Lazarus was somebody that Jesus loved, and yet he died. And all of a sudden, Jesus delays. And I don't, I don't want you guys to misunderstand the text. When he said, I was glad I was not there, Jesus didn't say, I was glad he died. What Jesus did say is, I was glad I wasn't there so God could do a miracle. Jesus is never happy at death, sickness, or sadness. But Jesus is happy that he can bring good even out of a bad situation. So after he proclaims that he is the resurrection and the life, and by the way, he uses an I am statement, which comes from the Old Testament, I am that I am, Jesus is God. Uh, This is one of the I am statements of John. But then he comes to the tomb, and what does he say? Lazarus, come forth. It's been said by many theologians through the years, the reason why Jesus used his name, if Jesus just said, come forth, Every person that had ever died would have been resurrected at that point. It would have been the resurrection of the dead. And that graveyard would turn into a miniature Grand Canyon because there would be holes everywhere. So he said, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus, when he speaks through emptiness, the voice of God has a creative power to bring life where there is no life. The same God that spoke stars and spoke the worlds into existence can speak to the emptiness in your life. And say, potential, come forth. Favor, come forth. Heartbreak. I I pray for healing to come forth. He can speak. And he can bring healing to the place it needs it the most. So we see that Lazarus has been dead for, remind me, how many days? Four days. Now, if if death uh, bothers you, you can tone me out during this part. But I think this is really important. Um. There's a reason why the text talks about four days. A few reasons. One is a Jewish background. The Jews, it's not necessarily Old Testament, but they, they had a, a theory that the spirit would hover over the body for three days. And after that, the spirit would be gone. So the idea is after three days, it's over. So Jesus waited a fourth day so people couldn't say, well, the body just got resuscitated. It wasn't really dead. It just fainted. But there's another thing about that. You remember... When Martha said, by now he stinks, he smells, they don't know much about bodies as we know today. Now, if this is gross as you out, you can tune me out during this part. But I want you guys to get the picture of the miracle. This is a beautiful picture. The moment of death, we all know the heart stops. The skin begins to turn color. After 30 minutes, the skin starts turning purple and waxy. This is for people who aren't embalmed, just natural decay. The hands and the feet turn blue. The eyes begin to sink. That's just after 30 minutes. After four hours, the the skin starts to turn purple. After 24 hours, the body continues to go through change and the decay process starts after 24 hours. And I'm skipping over a lot of details just just for the sake of um, many of us don't like hearing this. Um, 
After three days, the body pretty much becomes, you can't recognize the person as much, or the body doesn't look the same. Fluids begin to leak out of the body, etc., etc. The brain at this point is pretty much in the process of decomposition. So you get where I'm going here. When Jesus calls forth Lazarus, this is a creative miracle where it's not just healing someone. This person was being decayed. The brain wasn't functioning. The heart was gone. The body. So Jesus had to basically go back and be creator. He had to recreate this dead body, bring it back to life. Um, That's just, it's a miracle I can't even fathom. There's also another miracle that we don't really think about. It talks about Lazarus came forth in grave clothes. Can you imagine walking out? I mean, the only thing I can imagine is either there was a little room where he could wiggle out or God just supernaturally carried him out because he was he was wrapped up in grave clothes. But there's a spiritual significance I don't want us to lose. Obviously, future tense for us, no matter what happens to our body. You know, whenever we die, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's true. But you know what? The body, God has the ability to resurrect ashes, anything. He can raise the dead. It's not beyond his ability. And in the very end, in God's scheme of things, we'll all have, our body will be brand new, everything will be reunited, and we'll live forever with him. And that's a beautiful story. So that, that gives hope. But I want you to think about Lazarus. If you look at Ephesians 2... That was our old life. We were like Lazarus. The Bible says you were dead. Spiritually speaking, you looked like Lazarus. You were dead. You were bound up in grave clothes. But whenever Jesus calls forth your name and you respond to the hearing of the gospel, when we say that, we mean that we, we believe in Jesus. He's God's son. He raises the dead. He himself raised. We respond in faith and repentance. All of a sudden, Jesus calls us forth to new life. The old me, he's gone. And the new me, I'm I'm a new person. So Lazarus symbolizes the new life. And whenever you have new life in Christ, you are raised to walk in a different kind of lifestyle. Romans 3, 23 through 24 says it like this. For we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So here's the picture. Jesus paid the price for us to be set free. So we should no longer be walking around in grave clothes. We should no longer have things that bind us and chain us. We should be free, free to live a new kind of life. So if there is an emptiness in your life, maybe you need Jesus to speak to you once again. Maybe you've responded before, but somehow you went back in the tomb, you got the grave clothes again, and it's like, Lazarus, what what are you wearing those clothes again? I thought you were clothed clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and now you're back in your old ways. But you know what? We we have that old nature, and we can still do that. But Jesus calls to us and says, come forth. I've called you to live a new life. So whenever there's a spot of emptiness in any place in our life, it simply means that we need to give that area of Jesus. And as we learn in Ephesians, his fullness can fill that. But he chooses not to fill a place that we won't surrender to him. So the places that are empty are simply the places that are unsurrendered. If you look at your outline, the take-home truth is really simple. Jesus is the only one who can fill the emptiness in my life. 
the more I allow Jesus to fill me, the less emptiness I will experience in my life. So at times we'll face emptiness, at times when there's death, when there's sickness, there's sorrow. And you know what? We've got to ask Jesus to fill those areas because he's the only one who can do it. So the action step, your take-home assignment, as we have every week, to apply this, what's one area of emptiness in your life, my life? Can we allow the Holy Spirit to help us and to fill this? Because God's fullness wants to invade every part of you, but he chooses to invade only that which is surrendered. He doesn't force himself on anyone. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you change things for us. We thank you, Lord, that we can go from a place of death and decay to new life in Christ. Even as Christians, God, we can go back and wear grave clothes and shackles when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, um, unbound him, let him walk free. But God, so many times as Christians, we walk in bondage to, to maybe it's legalism, maybe it's a sin issue, whatever it may be. And God, I'm calling forth the church through your presence to say, come forth. Walk and live a new kind of life. With no one looking around, would there be one here that would say, Timothy, you know, I'm like Lazarus and I've never come forth the first time. But you mentioned receiving the message of forgiveness, receiving a new life and a new start. If God spoke to you during that time, it's really simple. If Jesus is calling your name, if you'll just simply come forth in faith and say, Lord, I believe and you will turn from your sin and turn to Christ, you will have new life and you will have the promise of no matter what happens to you, you will live forever with with him. Is there anyone that would say, Timothy, I need to receive Christ today? I want new life. That's you to slip up your hand. No one look around. No one looking around. Would there be anyone that would say, Pastor Timothy, you know, there are places of emptiness. It could be the search for significance. It could be a family situation you're dealing with. It could be a health or sickness issue. And you just feel this void that something's not as it should be. And we all live in this land where there's a lot of empty spots. And you would just say, Jesus, I want you to fill this emptiness with your presence. Invade this area of my life that needs your touch. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Just say a simple prayer. Say, Jesus, you know the place of emptiness in my life. You know the places of emptiness. I pray that you would fill this emptiness with your fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.